This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Our question today is this, uh, what is the law of love? What is the law of love? We have a church member who uses this expression to justify a compromising attitude toward anything he wants us to do. Uh, So I think a good place to begin uh, would be with a biblical definition of love in 1 John 4 and verse 7 and read uh, through that carefully. There we find God God is love. It's the principal characteristic of his character. He's the, he's the epitome of love. It summarizes his very essence, and he is the perfect example of love, the perfect source and motivator of love. And so uh, he is, if you want to know what love is, you look at God and, and how he defines it and how uh, he manifests that, how, how he behaves towards his objects of, of love. And John goes on with this principle saying that everyone who loves is born of God, right? So are they are God's children. And that's another expression that John uses in, in 1 John. And so he's saying that we, those who love in the way that God loves are partaking of his character. Um, and it's the same concept you see many times in scripture, like in John chapter 8, in verse 39, where Jesus is telling uh, the audience there, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, right? So he's in a, uh, an intense exchange there with those folks who are opposing him and even seeking to kill him. And he's saying that that they're actually of their father, the devil. And he's connecting this parentage um, and, and their... Um, relationship to Abraham versus the devil and, and to God based on their behavior. And so in other words, you know, you may have this genetic link to Abraham, but you're not really Abraham's children biblically defined or else you'd be acting like Abraham. You'd be doing what he, what he did. And so to know God then, and to be a true child of his, um, is to first grasp, have some idea of him and how he loves and then imitate that behavior. And so with with God, so much the essence of love, how can one claim to be of God who does not love? Right, is John's John's point. And um he continues that discussion down through verse thirteen. So the love under consideration is not man's concept of love, but John is talking about reflecting God's love and the way we love each other has to be confined to the the type of love that God, that Christ manifested. And he says here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if God so loved us, in other words, so if God loves us in this manner, we also ought to love one another. And our love to be of God must be like that which God demonstrates in his dealings with man through Jesus Christ. And so we're we're being presumptuous if we think that we can ignore the examples of God's love and how it's revealed in Scripture in Christ, in his, in his will, and then substitute our own shallow, short-sighted, self-serving concept of love and its fruits. So God is love, and no one loves you more than God loves you. Nobody 
loves anyone more than God loves them. And yet God's love did not keep him from condemning man to death for his sins. But it caused him to give his son so that those who obey him might be forgiven. Hebrews 5, 9, he's the source of salvation to all those who obey him. So uh, the those evil on whom God sends material blessings will go to hell unless they repent. But God still loves them, and he still gives them time. Second Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but he's patient, and he wants all to come to repentance. And so uh, sometimes we see many different excuses for sin, even some people trying to use scripture or scriptural words and rest them in order to justify some compromise or to justify some unbiblical sinful behavior. You know, people use Matthew 5.44 to excuse sin, never seem to think that the sinners are are doomed, uh, whom Christ is speaking of, and, and never make any sacrificial efforts to turn them to Christ. Yes, God sends blessings on the just and unjust, uh, but... Uh, Jesus is primarily speaking of physical blessings, right? Because he's talking about rain, right? He sends rain on the just, the unjust, and, you know, he's, you know, still feeds people, and we have springtime and harvest and all these things that Paul mentions in Acts 17. And so God loves, but that doesn't mean, and he blesses, but that doesn't mean that all are universally accepted to, uh, accepted in his sight and have a relationship with him. And so, you know, when, when we look in scripture, we find, um, his chosen apostles also reflecting the same kind of, of love. You know, take, for example, Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, where Paul is indicting the lazy among the church there. And he says, if a man is not willing to work, then neither let him eat. Right? And he goes on to cite his own example, how they were, when the apostles were among the Thessalonians, that they that they worked and they didn't want to be a burden. And, uh, they were with him serving and sacrificing, and he then indicts them, at least some of their number, for being idle and being busybodies. And he's saying, look, if they're not willing to use their time constructively, then neither shall they eat. In other words, you're under no obligation to try and feed them and enable their laziness further. Right? So, did, so does that mean that Paul didn't love those brethren whom he refused to feed? I believe... What he's saying is that he loves them too much to allow their slothfulness to go unnoticed and uncorrected. So he he loved them with the kind of love that comes from the Heavenly Father, right? who loves us in spite of our sin, but he will never cease to will its removal. And so take another example from 1 Timothy 5.16, where Paul is placing restrictions on the widows that the local church can support financially. Right? So he's restricting um, who that is, and he gives very specific criterion in First Timothy 5. I'll let you read it for yourself. Uh, but, you know, for the sake of our question and discussion, does in doing that, did Paul not love those widows enough because he placed restrictions on which ones could, in fact, be supported? Um, I would say no. It shows his concern. In fact, he had concern for the younger widows because he had more concern that in in allowing them to be supported in this way, they would in, they would in fact become uh, or be tempted to become busybodies and bring condemnation upon themselves. He had more concern for 
the divinely authorized work of the church and and again more concern for the younger widow's function in their responsibilities to to God and and the team responsibilities that they had to the local church and he didn't want that financial support to become a stumbling block to them and so the law of love is not an emotionally oriented standard of conduct of what I just feel is right in the moment or doing or saying or thinking something that makes me feel warm and fuzzy or something that I use as a cudgel to beat my brethren into submission and try to get them to do what I want to do. That's the opposite of love, right? That, that comes from the mind of man, but genuine biblical love is the result of an individual reading and understanding and, and and accepting the demonstrated spirit of God in scripture and, and the way that he loves and, and knowing what his will is and then being moved to act toward others the way that God does and to love them in that way and to have their best interest at heart even if it means like in second Thessalonians 3 refusing to feed them um and there's more that can be said on this subject, but um, in, in a nutshell, I hope that that is helpful uh, to our questioner today. Uh, so, you know, there's no greater thing you can do for somebody than teach them the gospel. Paul describes speaking the truth in love in Ephesians four fifteen and sixteen, right? And and nevertheless. In doing that, you will have people say to you, "Why don't you just love me?" You know, and what, and what they're saying is, "Why don't you just accept and tolerate me? Why are you giving me this message that is so demanding and is calling me to repent and submit to God?" Well, that's sadly that's to be expected. You know, Paul said in Galatians. Chapter four, he asked the question there among brethren. He says, Am I have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Right. So Paul had some corrective things to say to those brethren there, but he did that because he loved them. And he spoke the truth to them, and yet nevertheless he anticipated some of them would be angry about it, would rebel and say, You know, he's Paul's an enemy. He he hates me. When in fact it was just the opposite. And so biblical love, again, compels us to side with God in all, all things and to imitate his love, speak the truth, even, even if that means indicting our brother or telling our sister that she's wrong. Um, if we have biblical grounds to say such things, uh, then that's where we need to stand on the truth of God's word. And, and there when we can be confident that we are loving our, our friends and brethren as he does. I appreciate your, your attention and question. Uh, please, if you have any uh, thoughts or comments, feel free to write in to leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Uh, visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org. I'd love to hear from you. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.